Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Hello once again, this is Martin Popoff. Welcome back to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are pleased, as always, to be part of this vast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right, this is episode 235. I'm calling this First Gear Singers. Grappled with this one a little bit. Um, it may spawn another episode uh, where we look at either fifth gear singers or first and fifth gear singers. Uh, so the issue here is that, um, you know, I, I kind of got lists of a little bit of both and there's obviously a little bit of carryover. My whole idea with this episode is I wanted to look at those singers that are essentially crooners, low energy singers. They may go high, but they're high is not particularly powerful. It may be a continuum of what they do low. There's less, with these singers, there's there's going to be less evidence of really pushing air, uh, which equals power. So pushing air equals power. So less power, less pushing air, possibly a thinning, possibly a struggling, possibly less pharyngeal voice, uh, slash vocal fry. That's that whole idea. So essentially, and and again, I I think there may be another episode here where we look at uh, singers who have a really good first gear and a really good fifth gear. This is more like singers who, uh, you know, I would say all of these singers have a a really good first gear. But yes, it's the fifth gear that they don't go into so often. Now, why am I talking first and fifth gear? Because no one cares about second, third, and fourth gear. Um, it's a continuum. It's well, that that's the other problem. It's a continuum. It's it's hard to even you know, uh, you know, distinguish when when you're looking at the grayscale of second, third, and uh, fourth gear. Uh, and when we get to one of our categories here of the five. Uh, we're going to discuss that a little little further, how fifth gear means different things for different people. So, uh, all right. Uh, by the way, I wanted to mention, uh, so, you know, I one of the things I do is I go on Facebook and I, and I share, you know, only to relevant places like groups with the bands who are in the songs, blah, blah, blah. So I share on Facebook. I got put in Facebook jail the other day, and it's happened before. Uh, but this is one where you couldn't go in and find to put in a code and say I'm a real person and then they take you off. I have to wait the whole six days. The reason I'm telling you all this, well, I would love it if somebody had some advice. It's like, why is this version of Facebook jail different than the one I've been in before? But the main thing I want to say is um, please do me a favor and uh, and possibly share some of these episodes with friends you have that may... Um, 
you know, may be interested in, in some of these episodes or whatever, or even share it around to some groups yourself. But uh, yeah, just to see if, uh, if uh, you know, I could bump my numbers uh, a different way, because this last episode I just did, um, I, I really couldn't share anywhere. And I don't know how much difference it makes. Sometimes I think it doesn't make much difference at all. All this, you know, these hours I spend sharing our Contrarians episodes and this and other things. Um, but anyways, yeah, um, spread the word around a little bit with this one. Let's just, I, I'd like to see an all report back and see if the numbers uh, bump, bump up in uh, in any meaningful way um, with some extra sharing. So um, I also want to thank Mick Phelan for some of the, I you know, I've been, uh, I brought up this idea and he struggled with some some uh, examples and stuff. And I think, I think maybe some of the things Mick came up with are going to fit better if I do a first and fifth gear uh, episode. So yes, episode 235, First Gear Singers. Let's listen to our first selection here and we shall discuss. This is Blue Oyster Cult with Mirrors. A mirror is a All right, so um, I've always had this feeling about Blue Oyster Cult. Um, you know, doing these panel books, it's been really cool. So we've got the recent book, Dominance and Submission, the Blue Oyster Cult Canon, uh, where, you know, it was, I, I assembled a big panel of buddies who really know their Blue Oyster Cult, and we went through things. So, so a lot of these concepts come up. Um, a lot of great new concepts or ways of thinking about bands I haven't thought about uh, come up when I'm doing these these books. And um, and one thing I, I believe was discussed a few times. I mean, times I've I've always had this idea, anyways. But Blue Oyster Cult's a funny band in that number one, this did come up the the fact that they're always considered uh, kind of a hard rock, heavy metal band, and that be that could be the song titles, the album titles, the album covers, the occasional heavy song, etc., etc. But one of the funny things about Blue Oyster Cult is their two main singers and more, which we'll get to in a second. But their two main singers. So this is uh, Donald Buck Dharma Roser on Mirrors, the great Mirrors album. You know, I've called this my favorite Blue Oyster Cult album of all time. I've probably changed my mind recently. It's probably more um, Fire of Unknown Origin. But this is a good example of um, of Buck Dharma being this this uh, crooner. So he's a he's more of a traditional singer, someone who doesn't have to uh, bust up and make his vocal cords bleed to do what he does. Um, and he essentially always, always is uh, is one of these first gear singers. So he's a crooner, right? It's a, it's the old Frank Sinatra, um, you know, Michael Buble crooning idea, right? So, and I wanted to pick a song f- to play a clip from that is essentially a hard rock song um, to show uh, what that's like on there. Now, I've often thought, you know, people say things like, oh, we do, we do this this way and it makes the heavier sound even heavier, you know, you know, that trope. And, and I usually don't believe that trope. Um, and I, I, I don't have the answer. I, I almost don't believe that trope when it comes to this idea of, um, does, does the, uh, does the low energy, uh, first gear singing on a heavy Blue Oyster Cult song make the song sound heavier? I don't know. Um, there's a, there's a funny th- there's a funny attitude about um, we're playing this heavy music but I'm staying cool so I'm not going to get hysterical sort of thing so it's almost like it's like oh look how heavy we are and I'm not even excited about it so there's something cool about that kind of idea with this um, when you hear 
just kind of regular singing on top of heavy music, right? Um, now, Eric Bloom's kind of the same thing. Eric Bloom is uh, generally a um, first gear, a little bit into second gear kind of singer. And he, he, does, he does try to use his fifth gear. Uh, and obviously he's getting older and, you know, it's going to degrade over time. But um, when he uses his fifth gear, it, it's not as impressive as his richer first to second gear sort of voice. So even, even he is, is that kind of a singer as well. I think, I think um, Buck is more so. Um, and then moving into, you know, this is one of those bands with four singers. So we've got Joe Bouchard. Uh, he, he actually does like to use his fifth gear a fair bit. Um, but Joe and Albert both have kind of like weaker voices and you don't know what would be the right gear and they probably never really use their right gear, um, too often kind of thing. But Joe is kind of, you know, you think of something like Fallen Angel and there's, there's where you get the Roger Daltrey out of him, which is the higher gear. But so, so generally speaking, those two guys are also, um, first gear singers. So, the funny thing is all the singers in Blue Oyster Cult are not your typical heavy metal, pushing a lot of air, power, shrieking singers. Um, other ones like this, um, again, this is directly related to uh, doing this panel book, but Phil Phil Linet from Thin Lizzy, man, he is absolutely one of these low energy crooner singers. Um, you just, you just, it's, it's, it's the laid back cool of Phil that we all love, but it's, it's really funny uh, when you go through the catalog and, and start noticing that they've got all these, you know, pretty, pretty rock and hard rock songs, but Phil never has to do a heck of a lot of work. And when, when we know he does do a lot of work later in life, um, we know it kind of fails. And that's where we start saying, you know, where you start seeing the vocal fry, because you're not used to seeing vocal fry out of Phil. So when you start singing it, you go, oh, there's the hard living, uh, you know, coming out of him. And the other one that's like this is kind of interesting is Phil Mogg from UFO. Same kind of thing uh, where you where you definitely get a guy who um, people basically say he doesn't have that great of a voice. And I would kind of agree with that. The voice isn't great. The singing is is fairly top notch. Like he's got He's got a good grasp of the art of singing. Um, but again, this is a guy with a limited limited range and uh, and he's not he's not the big go up and sing vocal fry thing. So when when you get up there, you're you're not happy about it. You're not happy about listening to Phil when he's when he's pushing hard because he's because he's gonna struggle uh, up at that end. So so it's funny. he's he's not a guy with the lowest voice in the world. Um, but he basically uses that voice that he has in first gear, basically. And Ian Gillen is kind of a funny one. Um, so this is a guy that I probably should include in the other episode, so I won't talk about him too much, but he's become a lot more of a first gear singer guy uh, over the years, and that's where we feel comfortable and we like him the most. Paul Rogers, kind of the same thing. Peter Steele. Um, from typo negative, um, there are these guys with these really low voices who like to uh, exploit that low voice, and he's one of those guys. Don Dawkin is a really interesting one um, because people have said um, one of the distinct things about the band Dawkin is that uh, so it's a little bit like um, it's a little bit like Joey Belladonna in Anthrax. One of the distinct things about that situation was you had a standard heavy metal semi-operatic singer on top of thrash and a very kind of like streetwise New York kind of thrash. So that is a distinct thing about Anthrax. Same thing in the hair metal department. 
Uh, Don Dawkin uh, is considered one of these guys with like a sweet, I'm not going to push a lot of air, I'm not going to put a lot of effort into this uh, sort of voice uh, when he's singing. So, um, it's, and it's, it's a good voice. It's not the greatest singing ever. Um, and it's not even the greatest voice ever, but it's competent in both of those areas. Competence doesn't, shouldn't even apply to your voice, really. I mean, that's, that's unfair to the person because that's just like, like your height almost, right? Um, but, uh, but, the, but yeah, the funny thing about Don Dawkin is um, there are these fairly heavy songs going on around him with a big beat of Mick Brown and the wild guitar work and everything. And he's just, uh, you know, kind of crooning away, um, you know, fairly unremarkable uh, in, in many ways. Uh, Mick Phelan also says uh, Chino Marino, um, Josh Holm, and uh, Mark Lanigan as well. Um, kind of interesting. Yeah, jo- Josh is a, is a funny one in this department as well. So, uh, all right, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well... I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, (laughs) oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. 
Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back again here. Episode 235, First Gear Singers. Um, this one might surprise you a little bit. Take a listen. Robert Plant with Carrie Fire. Just like they do for me, well, so I do for you. Okay, so I wanted to put him here. This is a guy who absolutely has got to be in the other episode as well. Uh, but the category is a little bit, um, well, it's him and Getty Lee more more or less. Um, you, we could probably find other examples as, as well. But um, Robert Plant, uh, much more than Getty Lee, I think has, is this guy. And again, uh, I've got a panel book coming out, Robert Plant album by album. What did I call it? Pictures at 11, Robert Plant album by album. Um and um, going through all of his later stuff, the, the really interesting thing here is, so in the old days, uh, and I won't go into this too much because, again, maybe we'll save it for the other episode, but in the old days, um, you loved you loved his first gear and you loved his fifth gear. I'll just leave it at that. So what's happened now and what's happened over time? So into the middle era uh, of Robert Plant's career, it's almost like Getty Lee's last era or middle and last combined. Um, where he he sang a lot more and he had kind of a weaker fifth gear, um, but he still used it sort of thing or, or went there and tried to use it, flirted with the fifth gear kind of thing. But in later years, uh, on uh, across all these albums like 2017's Carry Fire, but all of this, this Alison Krauss kind of thing and, and Lullaby and the Ceaseless Roar, all, all of these records he's... Um, and, and this is almost irrelevant, but what he has done is he's turned the, turned the entire volume down on the band. Um, so, they're, so they're these rootsy, crusty, antique obscure sort of sounds. Um, so, you know, the idea 
almost amusingly, it's almost like the band in Creedence Clearwater Revival where he's making like old-timey music that could have been made, you know, bluegrass and, and Americana and stuff. But it, but he, he purposely even records with, with kind of like distorted, scratchy 45 or 78 uh, sounds, so it sounds even older. But the point is, is uh, whether he turns down the music or not, um, he he's a singer who really, I think, has discovered... Well, first of all, with age, he's he's probably discovered that his fifth gear is shot and fourth gear probably isn't even convincing. But one of the interesting things about Robert Plant is that he's got this beautiful, beautiful voice uh, in first gear and he's, you know, a really good singer. Uh, he's he's obviously uh, he's done it for a long time, so he, so he's one of those trained singers out there. But basically, he's probably even a better singer than he ever used to be. Um, and he's and he he's you know to his delight, it seems like if I if I could get inside his head for a minute, to his delight, he's discovered he's he you know no matter how old he gets, he's got a beautiful beautiful voice, uh, but but he should keep it in first gear, um, or or almost more like. Even if he wants to use second or third gear, it's almost like he's smart enough to realize that it's a real treasure what he's got in first gear. So so he does a lot of singing in first gear. So he's really close to the mic often. He's really high in the mix. Uh, and he's and he's almost like whispering and mumbling half of these songs. So that's kind of a cool thing uh, you get with, uh, with Robert Plant. Geddy Lee, on the other hand, he went through his singing uh, period. The, these albums that he sort of justifies as being his... His um, I Learned How to Sing Better albums like Presto and Roll the Bones. And then as time goes on, as he told me one time, probably on our first interview years ago, he says, I took my shriek and, you know, I, 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 it's on the shelf at Kresge's or whatever kind of thing, right? So the, the funny thing about, uh, it, well, the, the, the parallel between him and Robert Plant is they both had this uh, fifth gear that sounded almost like a different person, like a different, different voice. Um, and and with Getty, um, when when he uses anything approaching fifth gear or fourth gear, it it doesn't even sound like the same person who was in fifth gear in the seventies, kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of interesting. But but he he doesn't really use it either. He's he's got a little bit of that same problem uh, with the degradation of age, where when he uses a higher gear, he kind of goes into this strange sort of uh, yodeling sound it's a little bit like um the 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 quirk of ian anderson and jethro tull but we'll get to that in a sec that's a little different but so he's he's got this gear he uses but a it's weaker you can tell he's not he's not putting the enthusiasm and power into it it's it's more brief it's usually down in the mix and it's got this kind of yodeling quality so it's so it it, um it's not that amazing amazing voice that he had and used in the 70s that you know, was always mentioned in all the reviews all the time uh, because it was just this crazy, crazy voice. Um, what else? Um, so David Lee, let's leave David Lee Roth. I think David Lee Roth is going to be a great example of of first and fifth gear. Um, Mick Phelan, uh, I'm just going to read this word for word because I thought this was interesting. He said that Dave Grohl is a fifth gear failure. The charm at the start was was the fragile voice, his backing vocals on Dumb on Unplugged, his first lead vocal credit, Marigold. It was a contrast to Kurt. At time progressed, as time progressed, we saw less of this. 
Uh, less of that and more screaming. It made the Foos Arena Stadium's megastars, but not the best use of his voice. He even tries ramble on live. When mere mortals like Dave try this, they show their limitations as singer. Singers, Grohl, uh, a god on the kit, a limited vocalist. I prefer him in relaxed lanes. See the beautiful Chasing Birds from um, Medicine's uh, Medicine at Midnight. Interesting. Um, all right, let's move on to our third selection here. This is Yes with Arriving UFO. Arriving through the eons of time's immortal power of the future to behold. None that we could ever hope to have known So look out in the night Ah yes, the much denigrated Tormato album, right? 1978 Um, Why I wanted to pick this clip was it shows John Anderson's wide range Now the idea here, the category here is kind of prog I want to talk about some of these prog guys So John Anderson is a guy who... um, it's it's a continuum with him. He's a he's a singer with this strange high voice, but there's there's no variation in what he does. It's essentially um, this this very nice sweet twee uh, elf pixie brownie um, little singing voice. Whether he's in first gear or whether he's in fifth gear, it just goes higher, right? Um, and I wanted to show that range in here. So that's an interesting thing about him. Um, you know, when I when I when we go over to Genesis, um, again, I won't go into it too much because maybe I'll save this for the other episode. But I think Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins have both gears. I think they they have both the first gear and a fifth gear. And Ian Anderson, um, again, as I alluded to, I think he's a guy that absolutely has no fifth gear. Never did have a fifth gear. He's he's like the uh, distinguished, wise, uh, you know. Uh, uh, fox hunting uh, Englishman kind of guy. You know, you think of how he looks and how he dresses and how he carries himself and what he's like in interviews. He's a very smart guy, but he strikes me as an aristocratic singer. Um, so he's got this beautiful, beautiful, rich voice, and he knows that it works best in first gear. Um, but he did have this uh, this gear that like he he felt confident going into the high range in the old days, but now it just sounds kind of like uh, ah, don't do that Ian sort of thing. And he, and he pulls away from the mic and he and he does that trailing off into the ether thing. And um, you just don't want him to do that. Now he now he does that. He does that uh, more or less out of necessity because they they attract a big crowd live. And so as a touring act, you know, he's out there and he has to do the old songs and they have that high range. So he's struggling with the high end, but I don't think he ever particularly had an amazing fifth gear. Um, John Wetton is an interesting case. Um, I've talked about him before. Um, So sticking in this prog category, I feel like this guy um, has... It, it's almost like he's always pushing air. Um, I don't think he has a particularly good fifth gear, so let's just call him a first gear. I, I definitely would call him actually a, a first gear only singer, although he's he's always been considered the consummate singer. But I think that's because people are in love with his voice. And I think they like his voice more so when it is in first or second gear sort of thing. So yeah, when he when he gets up high, it sounds like you're worried that he's going to hit the note, right? That's kind of the problem with him. Um, 
Getting a little bit off prog, but, you know, well, actually, I'll mention this as well. Ozzy is a funny case. Ozzy is a little bit like a John Anderson um, in that he's got this interesting, naturally higher voice. Um, and and he does use vocal fry a little bit, um, but it, it almost seems like it's not by choice. But he seems more like a, like a continuum, and obviously he doesn't have a great range. And, um, you know... And, and he's probably not even the greatest singer, right, in terms of accuracy. Um, but, you know, he, he kind of was in the past. I mean, you watch a lot of that live stuff, and he, he was pretty good. But, no, he's, he's, he's more of a first-gear singer as well. Uh, but sticking in the idea of not heavy rock, Morrissey is a perfect example of this. Morrissey is your standard standard crooner. He just has an interesting voice, and he uses it more or less in first gear, a little bit of second gear, but he's, he's not a power singer. Lou Reed's kind of the same thing. Lou Reed is almost even more down into the mumbling range. Nick Drake is down into the, um, is more into, down into the, well, he's a crooner, but he's also a whisperer. Uh, Richard Thompson, Mick Phelan uh, mentioned Richard Thompson and Nick, Nick Drake, right? Uh, Pink Floyd staying in Prague. Um, I think David Gilmore is a perfect, perfect example of someone who doesn't even try uh, any gear above first gear. Uh, he's got a beautiful voice, um, and everything he does is more or less in first gear. Um, Roger Waters, on the other hand, uh, is a funny case because, again, um, my favorite Roger Waters voice is the first gear voice. So so uh, he, he, he tries, he has an attempt at a fifth gear. It's kind of this this when he gets hysterical or sounds like he's trying to trying to sound a little crazy, right? Um, so he's got this this funny character that he goes into at that fifth gear, but you can't qualify that as a fifth gear voice. It's not a powerhouse voice. It's not particularly good sounding. It's a little bit like, uh, you know... Um, uh, fingernails on a chalkboard kind of thing. Uh, but yes, uh, David Gilmore and Roger Waters, uh, perfect examples of first gear singers and also Sid Barrett, same kind of thing. Um, and uh, oh yeah, Mick, Mick uh, here I'm going to read something else. He says, talking of floating, Sid Barrett does it, uh, does, Sid Barrett does it to great effect on anything off Piper, but I love Paintbox, which you'll find on the Relics album. It's the gentle, beautiful voice, very English that was carried on a bit. If you think of Fearless and Central Pay on Metal, uh, isn't that a more attractive Floyd than the pushy Young Lust on the wall? Um, are they worse when air is pushed? So um, I'm sure he's he's picking up some of this this um sort of a vocabulary for me because i always talk about this pushing air thing this power thing um but yes exactly pink floyd uh fits in there perfectly all right so let's move on to our fourth selection here this is kate bush with sat in your lap All right, so this category is women singers. Uh, women singers. Uh, my idea here, uh, I've always had this idea that uh, women singers have uh, a better job at staying um, staying in good shape as they get into older age because they are basically all John Andersons, right? Um, I they're they're not they're not singers that are ratching out, ruining their voice. They're just natural singers. They don't have to, you know, the thing about having a high voice isn't one of their problems. Uh, it's not a challenge for them. They have a high voice naturally. So essentially, uh, many more of them are are straight, proper, technical, doing it right, 
um, not worried, not having the challenge of singing high singers. So uh, Kate Bush is a great example. I wanted to put Sat in Your Lap because uh, it shows a little bit of when she tries vocal fry, but it's more like just a little bit of an effect. Um, it's not anything, uh, you know, and you get power out of Kate Bush as well, but it's but it's that it's that woman singer power where where it's like, Okay, I'm gradually going up. It's gray area. I'm getting getting higher and higher, and necessarily I do have to push a little more air. One one um, a female vocalist that that I feel does have uh, something that feels a little bit more like a fifth gear is Ann Wilson. But it's still it's still the continuum. But it sounds like there's more there's more use of power or power is needed, and uh, and it can get a little uh, a little a little nastier with the voice sort of thing. But yeah, Kate Bush is the ultimate delicate, whispery, mumbly, um, and and just you know correct low singer. She's always up in the mix. They're they're her albums, but it's it's kind of like she's got this this bag of tricks. And uh, some of those tricks go into a, a certain kind of amusing fifth gear sort of thing, right? Um, Chrissy Hind, Sandy Denny, um, you know, Nightwish, Donna Godshow from Great Grateful Dead. All you know, you think of um, Judy Dibble from Trader Horn. We've got I did that episode of those these great old rare obscure albums. Um, there's a lot of sleepy, quiet, um, you know, laid back vocals in the female vocal thing. And like I say, it's more of a continuum uh, when they do go high, sort of thing. So um, I guess my my. Um, conclusion there is that I would th I would think um, I would think you don't think of fifth gear when you think of female vocals that much uh, because it is a continuum and most of them are just naturally singers because the female voice is just a good singing voice and it's higher and all that stuff that thing that you you like as a challenge at a vocal so I think most of the time um, it doesn't cross their mind um, in a big way to uh, to be out of anything other than first or second gear. All right, let's move on to our last selection here. Take a listen to this. This is ZZ Top with Rhythmine. Okay, so I wanted to pick ZZ Top because Billy Gibbons is an interesting example of he uses a fifth gear, but you're not you're not happy about it. What what you like the most out of Billy Gibbons? Um, well, he actually does uh, some really cool things in fifth gear as well. But for the fifth gear singer in the band, you want Dusty Hill, right? Um, sadly, we lost him recently, but Dusty Hill is the guy you go to for uh, that fifth gear where you're really convinced about the fifth gear. Billy, on the other hand. Um, is I wanted to pick him because he's getting even low down and more of a bluesy guy, and there's some hilarious things across, um, particularly Mescalero. Um, and uh, yeah, Mescalero definitely has, uh, in fact, the song Mescalero is like this, but he's he's taken that first gear to an extreme where he's uh, he's it's he's almost a guy who has three or four different first gears. Uh, and because he's just this great bluesman, he's uh, he's really uh, exploiting that sort of thing. And you get um, the parallel in uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive where you've got Fred Turner um, doing the uh, the Dusty Hill, the, the pushing air, the hollering, right? The hollering. The uh, the pharyngeal, the uh, vocal fry, and Randy Bachman is your is your weak voice, your kind of Albert Bouchard voice, where um, 
you know, he's not particularly great in any gear, um, but he's he's more of a first gear singer. And if he does go high, it's uh, it's less convincing sort of thing. So that that's kind of interesting. I wanted to mention Kiss as well, um, because Kiss is an interesting one where um, your favorite singing out of three of the guys in Kiss, which would be Ace, Peter and Paul, are more of your fifth gear singing. And Gene is kind of the standout guy where um, you really get into his singing in first gear. He's he's a really good sonorous uh, first gear singer. So that's kind of cool. And he also has a pretty interesting fifth gear, but he stays away from it a little little more often. So he's he's almost like a little bit of a guy who... who um, it seems like he realizes he's got this great first gear, and so he uses it the most, and, and he's really good at it. Rolling Stones is a funny one because I think Mick Jagger has both gears, and he's not particularly great at the, at the high gear. He, he becomes more of a shouter. Um, but they've got this other singer in the band, Keith Richards, who um, who is definitely just a first gear singer. So he's a perfect example of this uh, here as well. Um there you go. So that is our, uh, you know, I, I hopefully stayed mostly on topic and talk, talked about singers who are mostly first gear singers. Um, if you like the show and want to support future episodes, please go to ko-fi.com slash Martin Popoff. Hit that red support button. Buy me a coffee or a pint. This this week, I would like to thank Joe Becht, uh, Andy at Black Sugar Transmission, Lee Fordham, Augustin Garcia de Prides. I have a feeling I left him out last time. He's always a regular. Um, yeah, great, great loyal supporter. And obviously, um, you know this as well, but he is the moderator of the page. Uh, and he even uh, manages our tribe page, right? The the Facebook page that was based on that old metal collector book. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he keeps track of everything on the History of in, in Five Songs Facebook page. Um, so yes, thank you, Augustine. Uh, Steve Polari, David Rhea, very generous. Uh, David came by. He's, uh, he's uh, I, I get this sometimes where, where he's like, oh, I don't do the usual thing. So here's a kind of a lump sum for, uh, yeah, so that was, that was really nice. But he came by, I uh, just, yesterday actually and picked up some books and stuff as well um but uh yeah actually uh here's an interesting point too him and augustine uh are uh they they own some of the originals of uh of these um of these drawings that i've been doing for flaming telepaths uh maginos expanded and specified and right now at layout uh just uh, basically approved um there's going to be coming perfect water the Rebel Imaginos, which uh, I think it's the coolest thing I've ever done. So that's coming soon. Um, and yeah, for all your book needs, you can go to martinpopoff.com. Um, and uh, yeah, as usual, uh, the latest ones out are the Blue Oyster Cult panel book. Like I was saying in this episode, you're going to be getting a Thin Lizzy panel book and a Robert Plant panel book uh, pretty much in March. Um, but uh, yeah, Van Halen uh, at 50 coming uh, in March uh, and out right now. I still have The Who, uh, the 50th anniversary of Quadrophenia, the Pink Floyd anniversary book, and The Kiss at 50. Uh, there you go. Um, let me know what you think. This one could be interesting. I get the feeling I've missed a few, or I get the feeling I'm going to get some complaints of saying, you're, you're an idiot. Uh, you know, this guy has a great fifth gear, right, kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, I... Um, I, I, I kind of leaned and, and I hope I, I got these right, but let's uh, let's see what you guys say on the Facebook, uh, whether um, there are some glaring, I'm sure there's tons and tons and tons because singing is singing, right? So you're, there's going to be many, many, many examples of, uh, of 
people who stick in a first gear and have a great first gear. But I wonder if um, I, you know, I kind of went through most of these singers and played a bunch of extra songs, and 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 um, I I almost feel like there's one or two where I'm missing the fact that um, they have they have a quite well used fifth gear or a great fifth gear. But uh, but yeah, I I think I got it roughly uh, roughly correct. But uh, yeah, go play some Thin Lizzy. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at R&R Archaeology. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shot? Would they shot? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom is dead. My mom is right there. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at IntoHistory.com.